You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good morning, everybody. I am Glenn DeGeek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Jamie Jennings in Norman, Oklahoma. You're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for March 20th, episode 3141, brought to you today by the World Equestrian Center. Good morning, horse people. You have found Horses in the Morning on a Monday. You're in for an amazing horsey week of laughter, learning, and fun with Glenn and Jamie. Oh, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on this Monday morning. We have Jennifer Watkins is going to join us of the Pure Puerto Rican Pasifino Federation of America. And I think Jennifer booked her just so I would have to say that. Say that uh, five times. Go. <laughs> so we're going to have her on today with our breed highlight. We're really running through the breeds this year, and I've been enjoying them, and it seems like the listeners have too. So we have a lot of Pasifinos here in Ocala, and when you go trail riding, I swear half the horses out there are Pasifinos. That's it, awesome. It's crazy the number of Pasifinos here. I think it's like the saddlebreds. There's the show ones, and then there's the trail riding ones. You know, you have almost two different factions. But I don't know what a Puerto Rican Pasifino is, so we'll find out about that. And then we're going to catch you up on the latest horsey headlines. A question first world problems, Jamie's concert experience, uh, her nose is still bleeding. <laughs> and, and, and in the post show, we have an update from Auditor Debbie, who's hiking the Appalachian Trail. Yes, she's still going three weeks in. So I got her on the phone yesterday, and we're going to give you a little bit of an update in the Auditor post show. First, I want to congratulate our own Mary Kitzmiller. She competed over the weekend at the 2023 Southern Equine Expo Colt Starting Challenge, and her her filly was a bit of a challenge. Uh, Mary was very patient with her and ended up getting a lot more done than she thought. She ended up third overall. Uh, Mary's a bit of a perfectionist and likes to win everything, so I think she was a little disappointed, but uh, she also realized that she came a long way with her mare and was very patient with that mare. Uh, speaking of cult starting, the big one happens this week. Road to the Horse happens at the Kentucky Horse Park starting on Wednesday or Thursday. It's now run by our friend Tammy Serrance. She's like the big boss over there That's now. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and competing this year are Cole Cameron, son of world champion and Hall of Fame cowboy Craig Cameron, who I've met many times at Road to the Horse. Mike Major, who is a true cattleman, raised on a cattle farm, competed in rodeos in New Mexico, Arizona, and Colorado. Guy McLean, if you didn't hear his interview from last Thursday's Equine Affair episode here on Horses in the Morning, go take a listen to that, and we'll get to see Guy at uh, Equine Affair next month. And J.R. Robles, who who does a whole lot of clinics across the country, expos and things. So it's going to be a good competition. That happens this week. I do not know. You have to check their website. I don't know if there's a video... This year or not, that changes like from year to year. Some years you can pay to get video and some years there were none. So I don't know. You'd have to check the website. I'm not sure about that. If anybody knows, they can let me know, please. Did I see that the prize is $100,000? Yeah. Wow. There's a reason they can afford to have it at the uh, Kentucky Horse Park Big Arena. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. And I think this year uh, they said that they had very few tickets left. So that's about 8,000 seats. And and you know what's amazing about that is people come sit there and watch that for four days in a row. Mm -hmm. uh, All day long. They just sit there. So I did not see that kind of crowd at Mary's over the weekend uh, looking at the pictures. But uh, Where was that one? I'm not sure even where it was. The Southern Equine Expo, Texas, maybe. Yeah. So anyway, um, I know a lot of you are Road to the Horse fans, and we used to do the coverage years ago. Uh, do, you know, now, the are those Road to the Horses the horses? Are they handle like? Are they like feral almost? But they've been they turned take out. Off the Four Sixes Ranch in Texas in a big truck and bring them up there and. Oh, wow. So they're wild. Yeah, they got 20 of them in a herd, and you stand at the edge to pick out your horse. You don't even get to interact with it at all. You just pick it out by seeing them interact with each other. Um, and I think this year they might be even doing two horses the first day, and then they get – they're doing it different this year. This year, Guy said they, they each get to pick two horses the first day. They both work – or they all work both horses the first day, and then they can pick which horse they want to continue with. 
Oh, gotcha. Southern Equine Expo was in Tennessee, by the way. Oh, there you go. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? So, anyway, that's what that's what's happening there. Daily Winnie time. <laughs> we have a few of these. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Happy happy birthday to you! <laughs> happy birthday to auditors Kim Trask, Allison Marie, and Andrea Day. Happy birthday to all of you. Plus, we had a brand new auditor, Kimberly Pash- Pashuk. 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 Pashuk or Pashuk. Can, okay, give the disclaimer to Kimberly so she's not. Kimberly, just so you know, I mean, obviously you've heard it. Glenn will mispronounce every name. So this is a badge of honor at this point. Yes, that's right. It should go on your, your wall. You should hang this up on your wall because now I've officially mispronounced your name. Well, all is right in the world. Farm Boy has made it back from California, from Monty's Ranch. Monty's released him. (laughs) Monty has released him. I got him back. Amazingly enough, he got the last seat on the plane to come back to uh, Oklahoma or back to Dallas where he drove back. And uh, we were riding yesterday and, you know, pulling information out of him is really difficult like interviewing and challenging. a cowboy <laughs> yeah it's like interviewing a cowboy but we were getting on and uh he's getting on his horse and he was like yeah monty told me something to tell you and i was like uh-oh <laughs> so when i start a horse i started from a mounting block because a lot of times when I get on these horses, I'm by myself. I want, and 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 most people are going to have a mounting block that they're going to be involved with in some point in this horse's life. So I use a mounting block, and uh, I've had a leg up from my husband before, and I ended up on the other side of the horse. So <laughs> you never trust your spouse for legs. <laughs> no, no, there's no leg up coming from Chad. So we've just, I've just always kind of like, like organically morphed the training to part of it is the mounting block. You're going to have somebody on there. So anyway, uh, farm boy did a couple starter horses where he was the first rider on a couple horses. We played some of that audio last week. Um, however, Monty legs you up like he's standing there holding the horse. And while his left hand is holding onto the rope, his right hand holds onto your leg and tosses, you know, gives you a leg up. Well, um, I guess He's standing there with Farm Boy, and Farm Boy's like, let me get the mounting block. He's like, mounting block? We don't use a mounting block. I'm just going to leg you up. And uh, Farm Boy's like, no, no. Let me let me just get Farm the mounting Boy block. Farm Boy must weigh 200, uh, 200 pounds at least. Yeah. He's tall. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's the concern of the fact that he's never had a leg up because he is six foot four. And like giant. Um, and Monty is almost 90. And Monty's <laughs> almost 90. So this, this is an accident waiting to happen. So he was like, you know, I just thought I'm going to get the mounting block. I didn't want him to leg me up. And then he was like, does Jamie not give you legs up? And <laughs> All five foot two of you. <laughs> yeah. And Farm Boy was like, no, we use a mounting block. You need to teach her. You need to make her give you legs up. You need to start getting her to leg you up. And he was like, so apparently you need to start giving me legs up. And I was like, let me tell you something that's never going to happen. <laughs> My five foot two self Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, I am not giving you a leg up on your six foot four self onto like anything ever. Um, and so I guess it, Monty was very adamant that they go and get a leg up. And I guess finally, eventually Debbie leans down and was like, get the mounting block, Barrett. <laughs> 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 Why is so, he so adamant about that one? Is this just old school? It's just how he does it. Yeah, I mean, that's a racetrack thing too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just how you do it. It's a that's that's his program. And again, you know, like I have had to morph parts of what I do to fit the location that I have. You know what well, I mean? I mean? Like being solo, that doesn't help. You can't get exactly. legs up when there's nobody there. Anybody like that? <laughs> Hello. Hello? Neighbor? Anybody? No. Somebody driving by, please. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, I was like, that's just how we do it. And uh, I was like, it'll be a cold day in hell before I stand next to you and pick up your leg and let you climb on up. (laughs) Not going to happen. Anyway, all is right in the world. We got all the horses worked yesterday. And uh, Auditor Jennifer Dunn, who adopted the horse beggar. God. 
that I, I think what happened is Farm Boy's been riding some fairly exuberant green horses, and he rode uh, Jen, Jennifer's horse yesterday. And he's in the rump, and he's ridden this horse before because he was here before for training uh, when he came from the rescue. And uh, and he, he he's in the in the rump, and he, I'm in the barn aisle, and he's like, "Hey, yeah," he goes, "This horse is as gentle as they come." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. We did that. We did that. That's that's what we've been doing here. Like, it's not a starter horse, like, and you're not riding in your tiny little starter saddle. You can tell your Western saddle on. He's like, this horse is really nice. I'm like, thank you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm glad you appreciate it. <laughs> and then you went to, okay, let's talk real briefly before we get to the news stories about the concert. You went to what concert again? I went to go see Blake Shelton. Blake Shelton is an Oklahoma native and my guilty pleasure. Um, my guilty pleasure has been watching The Voice, where he celebrates the Oklahoma lifestyle very vocally. Yeah. He has a farm. He'll post I don't know if he rides, but he's he'll post videos of him driving a tractor, you know, and stuff like that. And now he's married to Gwen Stefani, and so she's a kind of a part of the Oklahoma lifestyle. Now she's moved to Oklahoma. And it's it's just a really kind of I don't know, I've just uh, you hear his songs. It's not like, oh, my God, this is my favorite song. It's just I really like this guy. So he was coming to Oklahoma on like hometown tour. Uh, and it was on uh, St. Patrick's Day. I'm like, this would just be fun. So I bought four tickets, one for Chad and myself and one for Larissa and her husband. And then I get a call about three days before the concert. And uh, Larissa's like, I can't go. My kids have something to do. So so my husband and I can't go. And I was like, oh, and I turned to Chad. He's like, I have to work. And I was like, so I have four tickets to go see a concert by myself. <laughs> so I, I call the, the other girls that I'm friends with. Um, one, is, I, I don't need to go into details on them, but they're awesome. And I was really excited to go. So we get there. The, the concert starts at seven, but everybody had to work. It's Friday night. Sorry, the parakeets are apparently, I don't know, breeding or something. Uh, they're very vocal. Um, so. Anyway, it seems so you we, want to be part of the show. <laughs> yeah. So we get to the concert and it's about 7.15. The opening acts are going on. So we are parked and, you know, paid $900 for parking. And you start to walk in and there is a man, Glenn, who is so drunk and he is walking down the street. He is your typical, like, Oklahoma, you know, just Good country, <laughs> drunk, gross guy who's like stumbling down the street cat calling everybody you know just like hey yeah Blake Shelton baby yeah we gonna go and say the show y'all oh going and we're just like you. <laughs> we're like oh my god we gotta so we cross the street we're like let's get out and I noticed that other people are like avoiding this human you know okay so we go into the show and oh my god I did not realize I mean, I bought cheap seats, but I didn't know. We're the very, very top row on the side. So not only are we so high, like our legs were sore from walking up the stairs. I mean, we were at the very, very top, the very last row on the side. So not only were we a two and a half miles away from the concert, we couldn't even see the screens. So, I mean, it's like sitting there and you're watching a little peanut dancer on the stage. Jennifer and I saw Carrie Underwood that way once. Against, yeah, against uh, the back wall. Against the very yes. back wall. Yes. Okay. So we get up and we settle in. Like, oh, my God. I mean, we're all having like vertigo. <laughs> oh, my God, this is scary. Back wall. There are, I did the math. I, I mean, I looked it up. 1,600, no, 16,591 seats. At the Paycom Arena for a concert. Guess who sat directly in front of us? Oh, no. You had the drunk, obnoxious dude? He starts walking up oh the town. We God. were like, no. Oh my no God. way. Oh, my, oh my God. God. Oh, my God. Directly oh. in front of us. And you had like three good looking girls in the back row right behind him. That's not uh, good. And, and, and there's four, four of us, four okay? Of okay. And, and he's so drunk, and he is standing up, like he's got a coat on, and he's like opening his coat, dancing on, like blocking our view. And at one point, he leans way back and he touches my friend Randa, like in the leg, and she was like, "Hey!" and kind of like jumped a little bit. He fell forward oh, no. into the row in front oh, of me. Oh no! 
he was not wearing a belt. Oh or, no! <laughs> or underwear. I mean, it, it lasted so long. We could have got our cameras on to taking a picture. I mean, full butt <laughs> in our face. I mean, cause there's only like six inches between you and the seat in front of you. Yeah. They're a little lower. So it was like, you had right a full there. butt, but those poor people had a, this drunk dude in their laps. I don't know which one would have been better. <laughs> We were all like, this cannot be happening. This cannot be happening. 16,591 seats in this place. And this guy is right in front of us. What is going on? So, yeah, it was exciting and an adventure. Did they drag him out at some point? Uh, He ended up leaving about maybe... So at one point, Gwen Stefani came out and sang a song and of her own, and it was really great. And and the crowd was real supportive. And then she did two their two songs with Blake, and then she left. And he was so excited. And right after that, I, I, they went to the. I thought we just thought they went to the bathroom, and they never came back. <laughs> so because he was with his wife, I did guess. Did everybody oh. cheer when they left? <laughs> you know what? Walking in. Um, he was so obnoxious and he's like, I'll go on to say Blake. And I'm like, no, we're walking towards the arena here at night, dressed <laughs> like cowboys um, to go hang out. No, yeah, we're going. Um, and then his wife was like, we're room 452. If y'all won't come on up, we're staying right there. And we're like, oh my oh God. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And so, so they ended up, I believe going back to room 452, <laughs> like halfway through the show. Okay. So, I have a would you rather. So would you rather have have this guy? I'll, I'll put you in the in the people in front of him. Would you rather have this guy land in your? Well, no, I'm, I'll keep it you. Would you rather have this guy fall over and expose everything to to all of you, uh, or be like we were at the one concert in Lexington, Kentucky, where the teenage or the high the college kids actually from UK threw up all over the row in front of them. Oh, God. Give me the butt. However, you <laughs> did notice when you were walking down the steps, at some point, somebody had vomited all the way down, and we could only assume it was him. <laughs> Why do we go to concerts? Why do we do this? <laughs> uh, I, and by the way, drinks at a concert are like $70 a piece. I mean, it's insane. For a beer. So, yeah, for a beer. <laughs> yeah. So it was no, there was no consumption that, uh, among everybody else in the entire place, and this guy just came ready to go. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, enough about that. Blake Shelton was a very good entertainer, and he did play a great show from what I could see where the side of his face when he was about the size of a peanut. <laughs> <laughs> you could have stayed home and put on a, you know, put on a CD. A CD. Watch him on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just like a list. I don't go to many concerts because I went to so many in my radio career. And there's a list of people like, like you know what? I'd like to see that person. And so he was kind of on the list. And, and I went to Tim McGraw last year and I'm, I kind of wanted to like wrap up some of these country artists. And, and I did it. And I check. We're good. All right. Auditors, I'm going to put in the. Otter Facebook room. Uh, what's the worst experience you've ever had at a concert? We're going to get the list. We're going to get a list of those. I do remember, and I'll never forget this because my brother reminds me all the time. We went to Bon Jovi as children. Yeah. Like one of my first concerts is Bon Jovi. Still a fan. And um, I was with my brothers. We're probably 10, you know, nine and not between nine and 12, the, the group of us. And people got so into John Bon Jovi that, and my, and my dad was on the row with us, of course, you know, bringing all these children and the people in front of us were having so much fun that the lady turned around and pulled her shirt up and flashed all of the children <laughs> in the row behind it. Like, Hey, my brother still remembers. He's like, that's the first time I ever saw boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the kind of stories we want right yeah, there. <laughs> that's all boobs. <laughs> All right, let's do some. Let's talk, get back to talking about horses again. It's Monday. Time for Glenn's short horsey headlines. Short, mostly because he has the attention span of his hackney pony. 
<laughs> Thank you, Jennifer, for the bumper. Uh, so um, she said that so lovingly. I know she did. Yes. We've been married 35 years. That comes across in that bumper. actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> our headlines for today. And this is the time of week when I do some very random stories that actually do include horses. At Live Oak over the weekend, the carriage drivers were out in force and the crowds were too, from what I saw. We actually didn't make it over there, but we watched a lot of it on TV. Chester Weber, this is the, the biggest carriage driving event uh, competition in the country. Happens every year here in March, right across the street from the World Equestrian Center at Chester Weber's small 4,000-acre farm. And he is now the 20-time USEF four-in-hand national champion. Let me repeat that. 20-time USEF. Uh, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> Uh, now, there's not a lot of competition in the foreign hands in the United States. Uh, there is some, but not a lot. And Chester does win. He's the guy. Yeah, I, I actually watched some of his go and watched it with Lucas. And, and <laughs> he was like, what is he doing? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> They're like <laughs> weaving through things. And it's really difficult. And this guy's the best in the world. He was like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. They go so fast through those things. And oh, there's a lot of reins in your hands when you're doing that. So. I just, I'm like, imagine, you know, mommy controls one horse. Imagine controlling four. four at that speed through those at obstacles. That speed and those remembering where you're supposed to go in the obstacle. Which That's I, the hardest part. I wouldn't even be able to do that. So the FEI three-star single horse was won by Taylor Bradish, who we've had on the uh, driving show in the past. Also, Jacob Arnold took the overall FEI three-star horse pair victory. Dr. Wendy and I started following Jacob when he started in driving as a teenager. We'd have him on the show all the time, and he's really doing very well now. He worked his way up through the ranks. The one thing I did notice at this competition is there were a bunch of juniors that started first that day, like little kids. There was a second grader that was doing his pony through those obstacles. What second grader can remember where to go through the obstacles? I, second is, grade. I, it just makes me think of my kid. I'm like, no. no. Can you I imagine? mean, I was too scared to drive. Like, way to go, dude. <laughs> now, his dad's a driver, but still he's in second grade. Mary Phelps, who's been on this show a number of times, who drives the gangster ponies. We've talked about them. They were made into briars. She came in second in the pony team division, which also means she drives four of them. The guy who won came from, brought his ponies over from Europe to compete here. So that's how big a competition is. there is. This is. There actually is uh, competitors that come over from Europe. More than 70,000 thoroughbred racing participants and administrators across the country have registered with the Federal Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority. You remember when Congress passed that uh, bill that said we're now going to have regulations across the country for horse racing? One of the first things that had to happen is everybody involved in horse racing, the participants and the administrators, had to register. To date, 30,000 people have registered and 42,000 horses have registered. They all have to have their registration in by Monday, March 27th, next week. If you're not registered, then you won't be able to race until you do register. So uh, I guess the first step in tracking all of this was making sure we had a registry of everybody and all the horses. Mm -hmm. And that gives you an idea of how many people are involved in racing in the United States so far. And I bet you it'll round out. They were expecting 80,000 to 100,000. I know that there's a lot of people that are protesting this and not wanting to register. So it's good to see that they you just well, you just can't race. Yep. There's going to be consequences. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, they're going to have to be in compliance. And hey, I've got a short news for yeah. you before you get to your last story. Congratulations to Will Coleman and Chin Tonic for the third year in the row. He won the four star international and uh, at Settlers Run Farm, the Carolina and International four star. Third year in a row, he has won it and. On three different horses. In 2021, he won it on Off the Record, Don Dante in 22, and then this year was Chin Tonic. So, pretty cool. Very cool. And finally, the founder of Stripe, you know, the credit card payment platform thing? Okay. Three years ago, bought one of Ireland's finest estates. He's a tech billionaire by the name of John Cullison. And he has now adopted more than 40 abandoned horses, which are now free to roam on his country estate. We were talking about a certain singer who has a very large property near you that doesn't have any horses on it. So this guy, give him credit. He bought this 1,100-acre uh, 
estate, which, by the way, is absolutely stunning, including stands of trees, a walled garden, and farmland. And last week, he adopted more than 40 abandoned horses. Uh, they came from a rescue run by singer Kathy Davey. Uh, by the way, the main house, designed in 1773 by architect James Wyatt, is one of Ireland's largest with nine bedrooms, 10 bathrooms, 117 windows, and 27,000 square feet. It also has wow. t- 10 houses and cottages on the grounds. Where in Ireland is it, do you I know? I don't know. I don't know exactly, um, but... Apparently, this singer by the Kathy Davy runs has been running this rescue, and they've been raising lots of money. She's kind of rescued a lot of horses, and he helped her do some fundraising, and then said, "Well, I'll take forty of them, and we'll put them on my property." Are those are some lucky abandoned horses, dude? Toby Keats, you better get it together, man. <laughs> I drive by Toby Keats Norman property every day, and he has redone the wood fencing, and there's just like so much pasture. And I have retrained several of his off the track thoroughbreds, and I'm like, excuse me, why are you dropping your horses at the rescue? You should be putting them in these giant fields with double fence lines, brand new. Oh, irritated. There's even there's even uh, running sheds out there. He should talk to uh, tech billionaire John Cullison, who apparently has figured it out. I think Chad is really nervous for me to ever see Toby because I have some things (laughs) to say. The World Equestrian Center is, is still running many events right now during what we call the high season here in Ocala. And I noticed that a couple of our listeners, more of our listeners, went to Live Oak and then went over and saw the World Equestrian Center for the first time, ate at the Yellow Pony, said they liked that. Um, that's one of the restaurants in the very fancy five-star hotel. Uh, what, some of the things coming up at the World Equestrian Center, the Spectrum International is the crown jewel of Pasifino horse shows in the United States. We're going to be talking about Pasifinos in two minutes. Uh, so we actually were there for one of the Pasifino competitions, and it is fascinating to watch. Um, so also, the, this is the last week of the Hunter Jumper Show, the big Hunter Jumper Show. And on Saturday night will be the last Grand Prix of the season, $250,000 Mars Equestrian Grand Prix. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> in April, there's lots of things going on as well. The Gypsy Live Spring Event showcases the Gypsy Horse, and you're going to see competitions including English Western Dressage, Liberty Obstacles, and Carriage Driving. It's free and open to spectators April 20th through the 23rd. And I guarantee you that will be the place in the world with the most hair care products for horses that you will oh, ever yeah. see all in one place. Guaranteed. There's going to be a lot of feathers. Uh, And also, let's not forget, on April 22nd is the Great Florida Bigfoot Conference. Uh, I am very confused about this. This is the third annual Great Florida Bigfoot Conference featuring, get this, an all-star lineup of Bigfoot researchers, investigators, and authors ready to interact with fans and discuss their experiences and findings. There's an all-star lineup of... <laughs> there are all-star Bigfoot researchers? Apparently. Because I thought Bigfoot was like here in Oklahoma. It costs $35 to get in this. It's not free. So. Wow. But, by the way, I can give you the result, the end of the movie. They didn't find Bigfoot yet. It's kind of the end um, of the movie, People right? have seen him in, in Broken Bow, Oklahoma. It's like big-time Bigfoot place out there, so... I mean, I didn't know he was in Florida, so that's cool. Uh, apparently, we, we, we have uh, one. There must be an Everglades version of Bigfoot that has like named Swampy or something. I don't know. There must be a Swampy. <laughs> it must be an Everglades version. It, I got to be honest. If it wasn't thirty five dollars, I might go just to see the kind of people that are there. Oh, it's going to be like um, Comic Con oh, where you yes. have to dress up. Yeah. And do people dress up as Bigfoot? I want this. All questions we need answered to. So can- You're going to have to pony up the money and go, Glenn. <laughs> if any of our listeners are into Bigfoot and going to the conference, please let us know. We want to interview you, please. WorldEquestrianCenter.com. Well, the next guest was recommended to us by Victoria Tolman of Equus Survival Trust, who's been on our show a number of times and recommended a lot of guests, uh, mainly with breed highlights and horses that uh, are not so populated in the world anymore. And we have Jennifer Watkins. Uh, she is president of the Pure Puerto Rican Pasifino Federation of America, which I swear, Jennifer, my wife just scheduled you, so I'd have to say that five times today. I know. It's quite a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, so tell us about the Puerto Rican Pasifino. What makes a Puerto Rican Pasifino different than other Pasifinos? All right. Um, 
Basically, the word Pasifina means fine, stealth, or delicate walk. And that is exactly what the Puerto Rican Pasifino is known for. They're known for their four-beat lateral gait. It's smooth, it's relaxed, and it's completely natural. It's born into the horses. As soon as the foals hit the ground and you start leading them behind their mothers, they are in the four-beat lateral gait. And that is different from other pasos because the ones that we have um, originate from Puerto Rico. So there has been differences in the past that we, as those of us in the United States, have not really been aware of. The fact that um, our horses have that four-beat lateral gait and come from Puerto Rico is different from the horses who have originated from Colombia. And then we also have what we call the American Pasifino, where we've taken the Puerto Rican Pasifino in the United States, bred it with the Colombian, and created what they call the American Pasifino. So there's very different distinct genetics, hereditary, and those type of things that are very different between those three type of pasos. And I assume they ended up on the island. Was it a long time ago by the Spanish, or how did that happen? It was. Yeah. It was. Actually, Spanish conquistadors um, brought those to the islands. They are they come from the Spanish barbs and the genets and the Andalusians. But it was the Spanish genets that are the ones that really gave them the really smooth four-beat lateral gait. I assume they rode them because they had to be in the saddle all day, and it was just smoother. It was. And they were also workhorses and um, used by the gentry there. And they wanted to be able to ride all day without bouncing. And and they're very good for that and known for their endurance and able to be able to um, what we call a paso corto all day long without the rider moving very much in the saddle. We we can tell when we ride around here. We live in Ocala, Florida, and there's a ton of trail riding Pasifinos here. And there are. They use them. I mean, uh, half the people that do serious trail riding, I mean, go out for a couple hours every day. Those those people are riding Pasos. And I, when you see a, a, a group of trail riders coming through the woods from a distance and you can only see the rider, you know exactly which ones are riding the Pasifinos. You really do. And that, like I said, again, really comes from the Puerto Rican Pasifino because we call them the smoothest riding horse in the world. And if you're going to put that tagline out there, you better be able to back it up. And that really is, I mean, they really truly have a very smooth gait. So how many are there? Are there a lot? (laughs) There are not. Um, Currently, we have less than 2,500 in the world. Um, there are approximately about 2,000 in Puerto Rico, and about 500 to 250 of those are in the mainland of the United States. And is your federation the registry for them? It is. Okay. Um, we were created in 1987 in Columbia, South Carolina, and incorporated in, I believe it was 1992. And it was created just to register the pure Puerto Rican Pasifinos. Um, of course, the Horses have to be DNA parent verified to be registered with our association. So we are here just to preserve, promote the pure Puerto Rican Pasifino. And like any other breed, there's two sides to uh, to a breed. One is the show side, and the other is the sport horse or trail riding or pleasure side, right? Um, so there's always these two sides. And of course, we have. I just announced it. World Equestrian Center is one of our big sponsors, and you know, one of the ah. biggest one of the biggest Pasifino shows is coming up. It is. Yeah. It is. And we went over last year and watched it. And I got to tell you, if you want some entertainment, watch a Pasifino competition. <laughs> I mean, everybody knows that the whole dancing on the board, you know, on the board thing, and the whole thing it's, right. it's just hilarious i gotta say it's it is funny i gotta say i i do i mean we get that a lot of times i see people they'll send me tiktoks and say do you really want to ride this horse it's not going anywhere you're right you're just and, standing still basically <laughs> it is but um that is one of the differences between our horses and the other um colombian and american pasos our horses are generally used more for trail riding than shows. The ones that you're going to see when you go to the World Equestrian Center are generally not our horses. Um, we do have a what we call our annual celebration show in Columbia, South Carolina every year, but it's more of a relaxed, laid back. We do more of the Paso Corto and the Paso Largo. We do have the classic Fino gate that you're talking about, 
But because of the genetic differences and how the horses move, all horses are not usually as tightly up and down motion of the Colombian Paso. So ours are not the big popular show ring type horses. They're just used more for the trails and for families and that type of stuff, especially in the United States. Well, let's face it. If you were t- taking one of those American Paso uh, show horses on the trail, you wouldn't get very far. It'd take you a long time to get anywhere. So <laughs> You wouldn't. <laughs> you really wouldn't. And yeah, I mean, matter of fact, you'd never get out of the trailhead. You'd just be stuck there all day. <laughs> so. You really wouldn't. I mean, I appreciate all of them for their differences, but... Um, we really promote ours more as an all-around family horse, use them for endurance rides. They can jump. They can do versatility. Um, we had our vice president, Clifford Fisher, buy a mare from our farm many years ago, but he trained her as a police horse. She does the Christmas show every year where she goes on stage. They're just they're just a very good all-around horse to use, and by labeling just a, as a show horse has really been a detriment to the Puerto Rican Pasifino and has not shown the differences that we're trying to show with the different styles of horses that they are. But by putting that Pasifino label on everyone, we in the United States have, have done a detriment to all of them. Well, that's true. I, I probably see that because obviously everybody knows the show horse, right? Because that's the thing you see the videos right. of. Or in our cases, you know, where we used to live, they were all around us and you could hear them practicing. Um, so, you know, you you can hear those boards a mile away. Uh, right. So you're right. I, that's probably true. And they don't tend to be very big. That's the other thing that surprised me about the Pasos is what, they're in the 15 and a half to 16 and a half range, maybe? Well, I would say more from like 14.3 to 15 hands. But if you look at the show classic Vino horse that you're seeing like at the World Equestrian Center, you're going to see probably a small, to be able to move their feet very quickly and do that very collected classic Vino gait, you're going to get an overall smaller horse to be able to move their feet faster. But what we've done with the pure Puerto Rican horses is we've continued to breed for confirmation and for gait and for size. So typically we have a horse that ranges from 14.3 to 15.15.1. And we have some at our farm that are right at 15 hands are a little bit larger. And I know other breeders in the United States have them as well. So that is another misconception of the breed. But again, if you're just strictly looking at the show horse, you're seeing one side of it and not the overall breed, what kind if that of t- makes sense. What kind of tack are you trail riding them in? English, Western, both? Either one? You can use whatever you're comfortable okay. with and whatever fits the horse the best. I mean, it really, it really doesn't matter. Okay, got it. Oh, and I will say, though, they have some of the coolest outfits when you go to the shows. <laughs> um, they, do. <laughs> they do. They do. They look really nice and professional. Yeah, that's exactly so. right. Well, Jennifer, I'm glad we got to talk to you because it, I think that it was an important distinction that we needed to get out there. And I am sure that I'm seeing a lot of Puerto Rican pasos on the trails here because they now actually get Now you know somewhere. enough to ask. You're going to ask me, I'm sorry, is that a Puerto Rican paso? <laughs> I know. And they're going to be like, oh, my well, God, this guy is amazing. <laughs> And and you How never you know. know, it could not be a pure Puerto Rican Paso, but it could be a Paso who was crossbred and has some Puerto Rican lines in their background. You um, can say that so too, too Glenn. Just be like, <laughs> I detect you know, a little bit of Puerto know. Rican Paso. But one of the big things is, too, that we have so few of our horses in the United States that probably you're not going to see a truly pure horse that often. Mm. And, and that's one there. of the things. She said um, there's only. There's 2,500 in the world, and there's probably 500 to 250 in the United States. Oh, it's not in the U.S. Got it. You're not really going to run into too many. And so that is what um, myself and other breeders are working really hard to try to get as many of our mares bred as possible. And because of the um, Equus survival trust and different things, it seems like we have a big renewed interest right now in the breed. And I'm constantly getting messages and questions about how to purchase one, but it's really hard at this point. Um, We are having foals that are being born, but as far as finding a five to six-year-old riding horse, it is difficult. Well, I'm going to have everybody go to your website. What is it? 
It is www.pprpffa.org. And if you can't remember that, (laughs) I will post that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for coming on. We really do appreciate it, Jennifer. I appreciate your time. Take care. Talk to you soon. So there you go. Another breed. I didn't know any of that. To be honest, I, I and that website again is p p r p f f. So hard. Just it is so go hard. to the show notes. The uh, Pure Puerto Rican Pasifino Federation of America. Look, I did it. That's Way pretty go. good, actually. Go, buddy. Why don't you tell us about Purina? A lot of P's in the show, Terry. I am right. <laughs> uh, the PhD equine nutritionists at Purina Animal Nutrition tackle problems using science. And their love of horses keeps them at it until they get it right. Even with the most established feeds, they keep on innovating. Even when it takes years of research, they don't stop until it's right. And they're dedicated to the scientific method. But it can't capture the feeling of seeing a horse reach their full potential. It takes science and love to help your horses live their best life. Put their research to the test at horseinnovation.com. We did something on Friday on the Really Bad Ad segment where you had a scammer write to you about a saddle. And you have to go back and listen to Friday's show, especially the Really Bad Ad section. And you went through funny, and it was very hilarious, you going back and forth with the scammer. But we determined through the course of events of you texting the scammer that uh, she was a barrel racing, she rode her Arabian in barrel racing in a dressage saddle. No, she wanted to buy my dressage saddle too, and I, because I'm... You're going to keep him enter- myself entertained. I was like, what kind of horse do you have? Arabian. Oh, really? What type of riding do you do? Barrel racing. And then, obviously, they're buying a dressage saddle for that. So, you know, it was like, which one of these things makes you realize that these people don't have a horse? So, I was like, we joked about all those barrel racing Arabians wearing dressage saddles. And um, you and I predicted. <laughs> What did we predict? We predicted that there would be somebody in our audience that has ridden an Arabian in barrel racing in a dressage saddle. And it was more than one. (laughs) (laughs) It could be. Daniela Mazzaneri on Facebook um, could be one of those people that has done it before. So, um, yeah, most people said that, like, a lot of people, again, I get it. Arabians are awesome. Uh, They do everything they're they're like they they're just jack of all trades right so you one person was like i collected cattle on my arabian and a dressage saddle like you know what picks to prove it picks or didn't happen <laughs> <laughs> but that's they, they can do everything um but yes uh you you knew it was gonna happen but again if any of you want to buy my saddle just send me a message it'd be great yeah you still haven't sold it this woman hasn't come through with her cash she you know mm. she um left i did get another message this is really weird so now people um i got a message about something else i listed and oh i've got like oh, just a one of my old 18 inch wintech saddles for sale and so i posted that and i got a message that said hey i'm interested in your saddle text me I'm like, I'm not going to text you. You know, I'm going to call you because that's how this is going to work. And I got and I called and it said that it was a uh, a, a text only phone number. And, that's a and thing? I guess so, because it was like, I'm going to look for it here in my history. Text only phone number. It was pretty, uh, pretty weird. Um, so, yeah, apparently there's phones that only text and this is one of those. So um, as soon as I called and I got that message, I hung up and then they texted me, hey, what's up? And I'm like, why didn't you answer your phone? And then they deleted and blocked me. <laughs> <laughs> They're not putting up with my shenanigans. <laughs> so maybe that's the ticket is don't text these people back. Just call them. Call them. I mean, that's the thing is like I, I won't let somebody I won't buy a horse. If I don't talk to somebody, I won't buy anything unless I actually speak to somebody on the phone. So keep that in mind when you're uh, doing some online shopping. Just talk to the human. (laughs) All right. You want to do some first world problems? Let's do it. It's time for the weekly look at your equestrian first world problems. This ought to be good. Seeing if there's any updated ones because Glenn, explain your theory on how we get a bunch or don't get a bunch of. 
Well, see, Jamie's trying to be clever. And that never works. But <laughs> I'm not. I try not to be basic. <laughs> so we usually post on uh, the night before or the morning of a question for sort of problems in the auditor room, and we usually use a first world problems picture or meme, and it actually says first world problems on it. Well, recently Jamie's trying to be clever. She posts pictures of her doggy and what problems they're having, and she posts actually what her problem is or a video or something like that, and we get half the responses we do. Mm-hmm. Off of the memes. Memes seem to be the thing that people respond to. All right, to. fine. I'll go back to it. <laughs> just, I just was trying to mix things up a little bit. I posted a video, Glenn. So yesterday, for the first time ever, Homer, my passed-on pup, still under a year, went on the trail ride with us. Voluntarily? Which, voluntarily. He just followed us out there. It was the weirdest thing. I was like, okay, cool. I'm on a baby racehorse. What could possibly go wrong? Got a puppy like six inches from his back heels. No problem. It was a so we were fine. So I'm walking along and everything was great and he's doing so good and he was keeping up. But every once in a while, he kind of like go sniff something because he's a hound. And then, oh, oh, my God, where are they? And he would run up the trail. And at one point, I was like, it's so cute when he comes running up. It's adorable. And so I set the video. Um, I turned around in the saddle and I'm holding my camera up. And that's the moment where Homer decided to veer off the trail and come running up through the six inch Six inches of leaves. Oh, no. Which, I don't care how good you are. (laughs) That's drama. (laughs) And so it is the ensuing video that I had because both horses... Uh, lost it <laughs> and, uh, and I, I kept the video running and instead of deleting it I used it for your entertainment and um, so thank you very you much you desensitizing your horses exactly mm. I, I people always get mad you should do this you should do this. you know what I think of all these things as training opportunities okay <laughs> anytime I screw up it's a training opportunity when I, all right when I rode with you in Arizona your your basset then came along and it I was haven't. so funny because it's just like when I take Scooter out with big horses and the big horses get far ahead and Scooter trots to catch up. That's the same thing with the Basset. Yeah. It's so funny. I think it was lucky back then. He yeah. Like, see the little mama. legs go. Yeah. You worked hard. I can get it. You got to work hard to keep a Basset hound from being fat. Well, that's true. I mean, they do need to come along. <laughs> exactly. All right. Does anybody have any problems? Yes, um, one, a few. Uh, let's see here. Now you got me looking at scammers on my phone. Okay. The first one comes from Colleen. The question, first world problem. I went to my cousin's wedding and I paid someone to watch my horses while I was gone. But now I'm back and I have to take care of them myself. <laughs> There is an advantage, by the way, to boarding. It rained the other day, and Jennifer didn't go to the barn at all, which is a she goes every day, and and she said, you know, there is an advantage to boarding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're not having to work on all the mud and getting stressed about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hannah says I hiked twenty miles through the mountain, but I could have been riding him. Now I'm sore. <laughs> You rode 20, 20 miles to the mountain. You're going to be sore, too. <laughs> hiked 20 miles? Good God. Through a mountain. Over a mountain. I would well, I probably wouldn't have go made through it. the mountain. But. I'd have been like, just leave me. <laughs> just leave me here. Well, I'll- speaking of that, auditors hang on for the post show because Debbie has gone over many mountains on the Appalachian Trail so far in her first three weeks. I think she has some drama, too. Yeah, she had a little, something. judging by her black eye. Oh, God. Um, Allison says it's going to get down to 37 degrees tonight with rain. So do I put the medium weight blankets on or the lightweights? And if I go with the medium, do I go with the all purple or do I go with the green or do I mix it up or do I lightweight and then they get blue or navy? Oh, my God. The decisions. (laughs) Girl, you. Kelly says I went to a freestyle clinic this weekend, and since my horse dude is still on stall rest, the clinician let me ride her fancy dressage mule. But now I have to throw away all my choreography and start over because I have so many new ideas. Did she say dressage mule? She wrote a dressage mule. Oh, that's fun. And a freestyle dressage clinic. That's awesome. I need video. (laughs) Carrie says my horse's tail is so thick. That it takes forever and like so much product to condition it. Listen. It probably could be worse. She probably doesn't have a gypsy. So 
Um, I have an Andalusian and it's a disaster, <laughs> but I also have a thoroughbred who you're like, oh, take care of those four hairs. Come on, keep growing. <laughs> Anna says it's finally warming up. So my horses are shedding and that's great. And everything. And they're, they're getting hair on all of my pretty eagle gold pads. <laughs> I'm looking down at the sweatshirt that I'm wearing right now, which is black, and um, I have gray horses, and uh, it's shedding season. And it's I'm covered. looking, I just, and like my nose just got stuffy looking at my sweater, sweatshirt. Gwen says, but I did. Can we my- hold on there a second? Does it amaze you? Because Scooter is, grows hugely long hair for living in Florida. And he's finally getting to the point where we're shedding most of it out because it's hot here. Uh, but I'll tell you what, how. When you curry them every day for a month and take handfuls of hair out, isn't it amazing how much hair actually is on a horse? Because I swear I've taken two horses out of hair. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah, we're not getting – we're just starting to shed here, so it's just like it's snowing, you know, just (laughs) lightly. The main snow hasn't hit yet, the big storm. Gwen says, I did my first show of the year, and I got a new personal best score. This is so horse check right here. But it wasn't on my horse. It was on my trainer's horse. And it's not quite as satisfying or exciting to me since it wasn't my horse. (laughs) Don't you look a gift, blue ribbon, in the mouth, okay? You won. Part of it is the rider. so Personal best. You know what? I always said in dressage, like, forget the horse. Look at the collective marks on how well you did. Like did like the horse got a nine and you got a six, then we got a problem. But if you got a nine and the horse got a six, that was pretty standard for, you know, right. I'd always get an eight and the horse got a four. It's only <laughs> because I'm riding baby horses that are losing their mind. So it happens. Um, Megan says my horse is getting his feet trimmed today. Um, well, uh, well, my need to remove old nail polish feet get look terrible and tomorrow my horse gets adjusted by the chiropractor while i continue to try to ignore my neck and lower back issues <laughs> so, true. so true katie says i want a beautiful one ear head stall at a year end award show last night but it's like light oil and my saddle is dark oil and i guess i could darken it but then i wouldn't be able to read the division champion inscription <laughs> new tack time for new tack it was time Lisa said, I had a lovely day riding yesterday. I'm so sore that I can barely walk. And I've booked a massage for my horses, but not for myself. Ibuprofen it is. It's a theme. We're all getting back. And now that the weather is starting to get a little better, we're all getting back to riding and we're all just sore. Yep. So everybody, the entire yeah, last- horse community is sore. Horses and people. Yeah. Caitlin, I feel you here. I finally found a pony for my daughter. But he's gray, and so now I have to invest in, like, a lot of money in, like, green spot remover and yellow out. I don't know what yellow out is, but I'm on. I'm going to get need some information on that. Um, yeah, the, the gray horse thing, I just, I've just realized that my gray horses are going to be red. They're just trying to be chestnuts with the red clay that we have here. Sorry. That's the way it is. Okay. By the way, I want to see a picture of them. And all I get is pictures of women in yellow outfits. Oh, <laughs> yellow. Oh, yeah, I don't know what it is. So sounds good. If it's like a dry shampoo kind of thing. <laughs> Gets pee stains out. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would be afraid of like carpet cleaner, like dog piddle. Hey, I got to <laughs> tell you, thing. I was speaking of ponies. Are you done with those? Yeah, I'm okay. done. That was it. I was uh, proud of uh, myself yesterday. So uh, I've been fighting a cold or something over the weekend. But anyway, I went out yesterday morning. It was cold here. It was in the 40, for, low 40s, actually, in the 30s yesterday morning. And we went out to the barn around 10 o'clock, and it was still probably 48, 49. And actually, Scooter was cold. Uh, and I don't know if he'd been out all night. I don't know if he was out or in or what. But he was cold. And he was not – when Scooter is not happy about anything, you know it. Uh, he just will – he just – he just is not happy, and you can tell he's not happy, and he makes it known that he's not happy. And then mm-hmm. you have to kind of figure out – it's like a – I imagine what a, what a baby's like when they're not happy, and you're trying to figure out why they're not happy. Yeah, they won't tell you. They won't tell – yeah, and Scooter just doesn't answer questions really well. You know, hackney ponies are good for not answering. So he just is miserable, and I th- – normally – in the old days, as a horse husband, I would have said, okay, I'm not driving him today because this is not going to go well. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to get my inner Jamie on. 
<laughs> I did think that, actually. I got to get my inner Jamie on. And I'm just going to stay calm and cool and collected the whole time we're tacking up and everything, even though he was being a total turd. And I just kind of figured that I think he's cold. I think, just think he's cold. So, and of course, we had none of the blankets out of the barn because it hasn't been cold. So I couldn't even put a sheet on him. So it was like, okay, we're going to go out in the sunshine and we're going to drive him. He'll warm up. Uh, but normally, I would not have done that. You know, uh, two years ago, I would probably not have done that. But I think thanks to you and this training thing in my head all the time, I'm like, I'm just going to stay calm. I'm going to take him out. I'm going to walk him around, give him a chance to warm up and stop being a total, total nudge. And I bet you he will just, he'll settle in. And after about 15, 20 minutes in the sunshine, just walking around, doing boring circles, he he settled in and then we could go out and we had to drive. But I was proud of Yay! myself for actually doing it and not going, okay, I'm not asking for this today. Because that's Yay! what I would have done before is just walked away from it. Because I still am a horse husband. I'm not a horse a, person like you people. A good daddy would have taken his shirt off and wrapped it around him. <laughs> good mean... daddy shirt. This big daddy shirt still won't fit my pony. He's, <laughs> he's, he's looking good, but still won't fit my pony. And of course, Aww. I think part of it that's, that's contributing is since we moved to the new barn, there's actually grass and he has to wear his muzzle and that just pisses him off. So yeah. much that the first muzzle we had, he tore to shreds one night. We're not sure how. Uh, so we got him a new muzzle yesterday and apparently he took that off overnight. So he, I think that's part of it is he's just mad. Yeah. Um, but he did great. He drove around fine, and, and he was good. Because in a couple of weeks, we're going horse camping with the ponies. And uh, we, I just needed to get him out. <laughs> so Got to get him in shape, yes. both of you. <laughs> so he was good. But I was proud of myself. I was proud of him, but I was also proud of myself. So I think it was the 90s or early 2000s. It was popular to have those bracelets. This is WWJD. What would Jesus do? Yes. And I... Oh, Somebody yeah. gave me a gift and it said WWMD. What would Monty do? <laughs> so I wore that. And it was, when I was training horses, I always wore that. I, I don't know where it is now. It's it died. Um, but I need to get you a bracelet that says WWJD. You do. What yes. would Jamie do? That's right. I need one of those. <laughs> I could probably find one of those pretty easy. <laughs> We could make T-shirts. Add that to the T-shirts that we're never going to make list. You have a whole list of T-shirts we're never <laughs> we going to make. a whole list of T-shirts that, yeah, are never going to happen, but we should. Yeah. We got to yeah. get our a resident artist on this. She needs to get The only work. person who would, needs to wear that is you. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't need to make a bunch. All right, auditors, hang on. Tomorrow, we're going to have the Certified Horsemanship Association episode. And then later in the week, Kale is going to be here talking about rider health. And we, uh, Jamie and I are here all week as well. So we'll have a full slate of shows for you. Hold on, auditors. We're going we're gonna to hear from Debbie in the post show about her hike of the Appalachian Trail at the age of, I think it was 61, if I remember Good correct. Point. Spay near gallon, everybody. Okay, auditors, I don't need the intro today because we didn't swear at all in this interview. Um, so I need to explain something, though. When you hike the Appalachian Trail or any long-distance trail like that, you're usually given a nickname, and you don't go by your regular name the entire trail. You go by your yeah, nickname. But, what, what, yeah, who gives you your nickname? Well, just somebody on the trail. And if you've been following Debbie on her Facebook page, Debbie Holt, um, you'll notice that she's had a very black eye. And uh, and I forgot to ask her about it in the interview. So it was after the interview was done, and I didn't have the recorder on anymore. I asked her about it. So she slipped and fell on a pile of rocks and smashed her face to the point where her eye was black. And so I said, uh, please tell me that your hiker name now has something to do with that. And she said, yep, they named me the next day Splat. So, oh my God! Her hiker name for the next two thousand miles will be Splat. How did they? How did they know each? Like, oh, she, when you pass by, she was hiking just, with a group. When what's it happened. your name? My name is Splat. Yeah, that's it. You go by your. Nobody uses their real name on the trail. It's all just oh, their 
hiker name. Like uh, Mighty Blue, the guy who does the show that really Debbie heard about the Appalachian Trail from because we had him on our show. Uh, Mighty Blue was his name. Now, he named himself. You can name yourself. However, most of the time, something you do will give you your name and they'll just start calling you that. And that's what you are for the rest of the time. So, yes, Splat is uh, her name. And let's find out a little bit more about her hike. Well, I have Auditor Debbie on, and you guys may remember we did an interview with her before she left on her hike of the Appalachian Trail, all 2,100 miles of it. Are you still hiking? Oh, yeah, still going. Yeah? I've been watching your updates on Facebook every day. You've been posting, on, and it all looks like lovely. It's been sunny, and you've been hiking 30 miles a day. It's great. (laughs) Yeah, I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've had a lot of sun, but it's also been very cold. So you're 20 days in now? Yeah, it's about 20 days. All right. So tell us about it. Uh, Just give us an overview of what's happened that you thought would happen and what surprised you. Well, it's pretty much going the way I thought, although I had hoped I would be covering more miles than I am. Uh, I just can't seem to hike very fast with a load. If, if I can go without my pack, I can move along well, but carrying nearly 30 pounds on my back really slows things down. So for the first week, my husband was picking me up at spots that uh, we had predetermined, and I was enjoying the life in a hotel, which was nice. Um, and then he left me to go on on my way. and. I stayed in a hostel for a few nights and did some slack packing as well without my full pack. And then it was off into the woods. <laughs> and um, uh, that first day, uh, it, it North Carolina, I got out of Georgia and North Carolina was like, ha, huh, you thought Georgia was tough. <laughs> so <laughs> it kind of was a rude awakening for the first few miles. So I stopped early at a, shelter and got set up for the night and then it started to rain Mm. so i had an unplanned day on the trail not hiking anywhere because it rained and rained and rained and i didn't want to pack up everything wet and i knew i wouldn't be able to get probably only to the next shelter which was probably going to have people who didn't want to hike out in the rain so we just a bunch of us stayed put well That was fine until overnight the temperatures dropped, so everything that was wet was frozen. Oh, jeez. And so then that was a challenge for my first time of packing everything up that was frozen. So I I got it all packed up, and a few of us had discussed about how far we would hike, and away we all went at different speeds. But we all, there was like three or four of us that got to the same spot for an overnight and it, the cold the, during the day, it's not bad. You you're moving; it's not a problem. At night, when you're actually in your tent or your hammock and you're all cuddled up, it's not a problem. It's setting up at night when you're done hiking and getting up in the morning and packing it all up. The cold just is; it's rough if you're not used to it. And I'm being a Florida person; I'm not used to twenties and freezing, so. It slowed things down. I think it was four days of trail before we made it to town. And now I've been in town for several days, <laughs> but we've been hiking. We've been going out. Uh, we made it to Franklin. So I'm up to about 120 miles into the trail. Um, we did opt out of hiking today, even though it's a beautiful sunny day, because the lows up in the mountains are going to be in the teens and then the wind chill was going to be about zero. And I was like, no, <laughs> we'll just wait another day. So tomorrow we'll get back out there and it will, it's supposed to warm up the rest of the week. Uh, we did have rain again. I think this past, uh, this is Sunday, it was Friday. It rained. So we didn't hike that day either. So how long until you're at the Smokies? Uh, about 50 miles. Oh, so you're getting there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And for those that don't know, once you once you get into the Smokies, you're pretty much in the Smokies till you get out of the Smokies. There's, you know, right. Yeah. It's a, it's seventy miles across there. Now uh, there is a, a highway that runs through Newfoundland Gap, but if the weather gets severe, they close that. So if you have plans to get into Gatlinburg or Cherokee from that road, if they've closed the road, you know, you're you're stuck. You're going to continue on and so you can get out of there. And for anybody that's been to Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge and taken the drive up to Klingman's Dome, which is the highest point in in that area uh, on the mountain range, um, you'll know that road. You know exactly what she's talking about. Uh, yeah. And that's the only time you guys in the Smokies pretty much will see uh, civilization, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So, so once you once you leave Fontana, you're you're out there for a while. It's, I, I think it's about forty miles to uh, Newfoundland Gap, and then there's 30 miles beyond that until you get out of the Smokies. So you've been hiking. I know that a lot of people start every day. Have Have you seen people dwindle away already? Yes, yeah. yes. There's people that have already been injured. There are people who were not prepared equipment-wise, and there were some that after they did the approach trail, they just decided it wasn't the right thing for them, and they quit. And that's one day, right? <laughs> that's right. right. <laughs> Maybe you should do some test hikes before you go through all of this and then yeah. quit on the approach trail. <laughs> yeah. So has it been, uh, uh, you said it's been everything you've expected. Have, your equipment-wise, you, you chose to sleep in a hammock. Um, oh, yeah. And are you happy with that decision? Oh, yeah, very happy. It, I've... The nights out there on the trail that I've slept in, I've been very comfortable and I've slept very well. So equipment-wise and food-wise and everything, you're happy with your choices so far? Yes, yes, so far. I wish it was, I wish I was, it was all lighter, but it's as light as I can make it. So it's just got to get used to carrying the load. And you're, re- so you're basically resupplying your food and everything, what, every five days or so? Yeah, every three to five days. Okay. Well, I yeah, we're I don't know if you've noticed, but the auditor room is all rooting for you. I post updates in there every once in a while, and they're all very excited. And a bunch of them live along the trail and want to want to help you out as you get closer up uh, north. So uh, they've all posted in there as well, and I've told them to reach out to you personally. So as as you get further up, you have a support group. That would be great. That would be great. <laughs> Now, I know you're getting off the trail for a little bit and then coming back, right? Right, right. I'm going to get off at uh, Fontana Dam before the Smokies, and I'll be off for probably about three and a half weeks by the time I get back up here. And then I'm going to make a decision whether to start where I left off or to jump ahead and try to catch up with uh, the person I've been hiking with and staying, you know, sharing, splitting rooms with and stuff. So we'll have to see how things are going. All right. Well, we're glad. We're excited that you're still putting one foot in front of the other. As as Steve, uh, our friend who does the uh, Mighty Blue, who does the podcast, um, he you know always says it's just getting up and putting one foot in front of another. You're gonna go, you don't have any choice, right? Right. Right. <laughs> you have to go. <laughs> Even in the morning when your fingers don't bend and your toes are frozen, you got to get going. That's the only way you're going to get things moving. You know, your fingers will get warmer and your toes will unfreeze once you get hiking. Well, I admire your your tenacity and I admire your strength for doing this. And everybody else does too. And we're all rooting for you. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's it's an adventure so far, and I'm having a good time. And what I'm I would say one thing that has surprised me is no matter how tired and sore I am when I'm at the end of the day and and I'm wondering, well, how am I going to feel tomorrow? When I wake up, I feel great. So I just bounce right back. I'm not having anything lingering. Amazing what uh, sleep and rest can do, huh? Yes, especially good sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you've been sleeping good regardless. Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, enjoy your uh, little bit of a break, and we'll catch up with you again in a few weeks, all right? Okay. All right. Take care, Debbie. All right. Thanks. 
Congratulations. You made it through another post show. Thank you for all your support. Now, go ride your horse.